Sonic States Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 240, recording today live on third, well, when, no, when am I talking about? Wednesday the 26th of October 2011. Uh, uh, for those of you who enjoy this kind of thing, uh, there is a live stream, uh, you can find us at sonicstate.com forward slash live, you see there it's at 4pm on a UK time, there's a live chat room and a live video stream uh, for which you can see me and various other fancy shots uh, of various things, including my uh, Skype participants. So without further ado, we'll start with um, a big hello to... Ah, there we have Dave Spears there uh, on the line via Skype. Uh, Dave Spears, g4software.com. How are you doing, Dave? I think I'm all right. I've got a cold, so yeah, I'm a bit grouchy. You oh, know. dear. But other than that, yeah, no, been very busy. So the good news... Well, the bad news is I haven't had very much time to look at the topics but the good news is for the person that we decree the winner of this competition they can have their choice of one of our instruments whoa that's pretty Just cool one. <laughs> that's a very sweet offer oh, i kept wow. meaning to run this by chris before but i i only managed to remember about two minutes ago so i just hit him up and he went of course well, so we're, there you go. We're to, we're the competition, uh, we're still waiting for some more entries uh, so that I can get the full things. I'm doing what I'm doing is uh, I'm making a um, uh, a sort of list of you do your, fo- your top five. Everybody votes for their top five, and if you vote, you know the first place gets five points, second place gets so the, there's a spreadsheet with everybody's got points, so that the the one with the most points. Do you see what I mean? It kind of does make sense when you see it all live. But, what Eurovision? Uh, it's kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> Only um, classier with better quality entries. Yeah, but anyway, let's go. Let's go and say hello to Gaz Williams there as well from uh, songsurgeon.co.uk. How are you doing, Gaz? Nice to see you as ever. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yesterday, I got busted. Uh-huh. I uh, I went to see the. Um, oh, can't I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, the mysterious voices of Bulgaria. Which, ah, um, Le Mystère de Voix Bulgare. I did a remix of that about 20 yes. years ago. Yeah. Ah, they were fantastic. But I took my uh, my little mobile Uh-oh. recorder with me and, you know, and I was recording it. I was just, you know, I was being pretty discreet, but uh, they'd obviously clocked me doing it. And, uh, and like one of the managed, like some manager guy came over and uh, he said... Uh, actually in the interval and I had it in the bag and he was going um, what have you got in the bag sir and I was like uh. <laughs> so I opened it and he goes yeah it's a professional recorder he said okay I'm, you know, I'm afraid uh. I'm going to have to ask you to leave and we're going to have to confiscate it I was like thinking, no 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 <laughs> but I was going but I was watching it and there was so many people filming it on their cameras and then he was going oh yeah but we'll tolerate uh, telephones and I, it got me thinking about what is the quality threshold of of the crime that he was accusing me of doing you know that all these other people were filming it and the audio as well wow. and uh, i mean I was, I was just taking the recording for um just for my own sake not for any reason but he was saying it's illegal and then i was thinking oh no because i got loads of and he was going we're gonna have to wipe it now and i was thinking oh no i've got loads of uh, <laughs> like recordings on there that i've been making um and so I, I did my mind. I did my Jedi mind trick on him. Actually, I said, "I tell you what. Why don't you go back in there? I'll take this. I'll turn it off, and I won't record the rest of the show. How about that?" And he sort of went, "Okay." Excellent. Which, of course, you were. You. That's exactly what you did, right? I actually didn't record the second. Good half. for you, because uh, yes, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, don't want to put the poor man in a terrible situation. But, but I mean, I know, I, I just kind of thought, I, I remember people used to come down really hard on bootleggers kind of in the 70s and 80s, etc. But I mean, I was just kind of thinking with like, you know, with it just it just got me thinking about, you know, when can this rule kind of either be relaxed or enforced more, you know, and, um, you know, just wondering, you know, because people put things up on YouTube without permission or, you know, which is effectively publishing things. Well, I suppose world, so. But so. I mean, he was that his job was that, you know, that was where it's being policed properly by an individual who was, you know, I suppose. Well, that was the idea so. anyway. Yeah. I mean, I was in, I, I definitely was doing a naughty thing, but I didn't think, you know, it wasn't sort of really naughty. <laughs> well, Gaz, what, but what was the gig like? Because uh, they are amazing. I mean, I, I remember back, we did a remix for uh, a French record label that, and, and a couple of tracks were 
Bois Bulgare, and we also did, uh, God, I can't remember now, uh, uh, loads of, there was like 10 tracks that we had to do, and there were two of those, and I really enjoyed those, although it was very, very difficult to create mm-hmm. any kind of music that would fit, because it's all so yeah. uh, tangential. Um, you yeah, enjoy, so did you enjoy the music, though? The music is absolutely amazing, and I mean, that was the thing, really. Um, uh, it was so mind-boggling, uh, and the the amount of kind of different musical sort of devices that goes on within their music is just, it's so inspiring. Um, and I was just, uh, yeah, I was absolutely blown away by it. I thought it was amazing. And they well, keep doing all these little, little squeaks and stuff like little comedy squeaks. And uh, it's really, really bizarre. Highly recommend them though. Oh, excellent. No, they're beautiful. There's, there's such a beautiful quality to the voice. It really does sound, uh, sound amazing in my opinion, but yes. Uh, but it's been a big week. Generally, I would say. I mean, we've had the AES in New York. We've had all sorts of things. And I suppose the big news, unfortunately, Rich Hilton can't be with us because he's probably the most uh, day-to-day uh, Pro Tools user. But let's just play this and see, uh, see what you think. It's really nice for us to have a platform that you can count on being used in every major facility in the world. It literally becomes like second nature. And it's like you're, it's thinking with you. excites me more than a new version of Pro Tools coming out. I'm over the moon to see all these new features in Pro Tools 10. It- okay, that's enough of that. That's enough PR on behalf of Alex. It's a life. Well, anyway, so pro- yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose that's the- that is with those people. It is their life. So you know, fair enough. But this is the news of uh, Pro Tools 10, uh, which is amazing, really, because Pro Tools 9 was only a few months ago. Uh, pro Tools 10 appears to be more of a kind of. Uh, uh, it's like a service release, really. It, I'm not sure it deserves the 10 moniker because it, it doesn't really kind of change. It's, it's more of an operational thing, things that Pro Tools users will want rather than perhaps p- things that people who don't use Pro Tools will buy it because of. And the big news is obviously clip gain, which is, means you can turn up and down individual clips in the timeline. So they beat logic to it, that's for sure. But um, <laughs> but the other news is obviously that they've got a uh, the HDX system, which gives up to five times the power of the previous versions, although you are paying for that. Uh, you've got fl- more flexible mix formats. Uh, let me see. I, th- I did actually get... Um, there's a, a good article on the Peter Kern's CDM blog uh, where he outlines all the individual kind of bits, you know, the, 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 what it actually means, uh, which is probably too small to read there. But um, is this going to... I mean, is this really a big deal? I mean, I, I'm guessing it's probably more of a big deal for Rich because he uses it on a daily basis. I mean, we don't, perhaps. I, I don't really use Pro Tools, but a hell of a lot of people do. Is it enough? I mean, do, do, they need to do this to, in terms of hardware because the computers, host computers were getting about the same power as HTTDM really now, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Go I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I guess that you know, I was I was laughing to myself when I watched the little promo video that these guys are kind of evangelizing about the clip gain thing because I mean, when you've been using clip gain like I have for ten years or something, and it on the various like Cubase had it a long, long time ago, and uh, Reaper has it, and you know, it's just such a no, it's just a part of your workflow, and it's just been. I'm really surprised how slow it's been for these other companies to kind of integrate it, really. Because, like, um, Tony Maserati was in that promo video there just kind of going on about, like, clip gain, you know, clip gain. And every time I've been doing a Pro Tools session in the last sort of five or six years, I've been going, where's the clip gain? <laughs> so, and people are going, oh, you don't need that, or just not really understanding it. So I'm kind of, I was a bit smug then watching that. I was thinking, yep, yeah, you've got it now, so... Yeah, yeah, well, that is good. Plus, I mean, uh, but, but interestingly <laughs> enough, I've had it on Sony Vegas for, for, for years while I've been using it. And that's a yeah. video editing program. Yeah. So it's kind of, but, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as you had in the chat room says, of course, uh, we've got the, uh, oh, let's see, the, don't forget the 32, 32 point floating point, 32 bit floating point. Engine, 32-bit floating point engine, and that actually is quite a big deal because, uh, according to the blurb, that gives you a thousand de- decibels of headroom, which is it's sort of a bit hard to understand what that means exactly. I don't really understand that. It seems an unnecessarily large amount. 
Dave, yeah, it... <laughs> tell me what it means. Do you know what it means? Uh, let's act. Should we use marketing speak? Please uh, do. Revolutionary. That'll do. Revolutionary. No, um, 32-bit floats is, is all good. Uh, this has quite major consequences for developers, and that's something that we ah. have been discussing over the last uh, few days, randomly, in between all the other chaos that's going on. And obviously, RTAS is going to disappear at some point. And this AAX stuff will come in instead. Now, it depends how expensive that is in order uh, for us to port as to whether we do it or not. Now, interestingly, when we did the M2, we haven't released PCR tests. We did Mac. And when we looked at how many people actually asked for PCR tests, I forget the exact amount, but I have a feeling it was one. Ah. So that calls into question an awful lot of things. So really, from our perspective, we're just kind of evaluating the whole thing. I can understand. And in fact, it's interesting that John actually wrote a really good synopsis for me saying it does make sense what they've released. It's not an Apple star whim. The first thing is, of course, is that it's changed from DigiDesign to Avid with from nine to 10. So for us, like when uh, you install one of our instruments, it's looking for a DigiDesign folder and it won't find it in 10. So all of those little things have got to be addressed. Mm. So uh, apart from the word revolutionary, the other word I'd use probably from our perspective is tedious. So it means Which basically actually, for developers... Does, does it also... It... Yeah. No, I was just thinking about it, actually. Our task could be deemed as really tedious and something. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, it Let's could. not go That's there. true. So does this mean that basically we're going to end up with a whole load of people, plug-in developers, the HDTDM gang, all of those people, not not just our task, having to rewrite and recode for this new platform? I mean, that's going to be a world of horror, is it not? Yeah, and I don't think that... Uh, oh, sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> Blimey. Um, Wrong button. Yeah, I mean, for a small company like us, I'm not sure how doable that is. I mean... It depends. You know, the cost of the hardware is going to be expensive. It might be prohibitively slow. Uh, 10K so, starting point. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that probably rules that out immediately, doesn't it? Yeah, but it it's a bit. bit more to the point. Is if, if we're talking months of DSP-specific sp- code development, then the answer is going to be no. So, yeah, interesting. Do, uh, that's, that is interesting. Does that, mean that, that, does that mean they're going to get dropped by a bunch of people? I mean, because they're just saying, well, there's no point. Because obviously you've got your well, wave, a... you've got your waves, and you've got shared code code libraries for for people who produce large amounts of plugins, presumably. So it makes sense for them to do the port. Uh, yeah, but again, it's all, it all comes down to how you know cost benefit analysis to yeah. use a tedious marketing all phrase. That stuff. All that stuff. Well, it has a lot yeah, of implications. I mean, it's if you've got one PC user who's, you know, one PC RTAS user or one PC AAX user, and you're going to spend three, are you really going to spend, you know, a couple of months? I don't think so. Anyway, that's not to say that we've written it off completely, but I did like there was, uh, God, who's the guy? Is it Audio Damage? Chris Randall posted quite an interesting post and in saying, because he doesn't support RTAS at all. And I think his post was in light of the new AAX format, uh, Avid can continue to go and themselves. Mm. Well, it'd be interesting. I mean, because I mean that sort of uh, jump, you know, that kind of thing where you uh, where you kind of in the way that Apple did when they said, "Right, everything is now changed. The processor architecture and all that sort of thing has changed." Which presumably they're having to use different chips on these boards, which probably means why that things have to be recoded. And also, if you're using different floating point maths and all those sort of things, I mean, you, there is the assumption that people will just come along. But I mean, I'm guessing if they don't then that's going to be quite an interesting crunch time for Pro Tools as a composition environment, perhaps not so much as a mix one, because that won't necessarily make that much difference to people who mix for film and what have you. So interesting business. Yeah, and I wonder whether they're actually targeting that specifically, you know, stepping it up like it used to be, effectively, you know, Avid Avid systems were the real high-end video editing systems. Right. Yeah, maybe so. Interesting point. Shall we move on to yet another um, uh, uh, announcement? And this one is uh, a bit more up our street, perhaps, so I will just fire it up now. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm uh, Trent Thompson from Moog Music, and I'm here to show you our new uh, filter for the 500 series, the ladder. The ladder is based on Bob Moog's original ladder filter designs, uh, but we've made some significant upgrades to the 500 series market. So we've got variable attack and release. Uh, we have a positive and negative amount, and then we've also got high pass and low pass filters built in. Sounds awesome. It's great for everything from your standard filtering. You can also use it kind of like a gate, kind of like an exciter. You can do a lot of great stuff with it. Go to uh, Moog Music. Go to MoMusic.com. Yes, there we go. That was uh, from the AES, which was this weekend, this last weekend. I know Rich Hilton uh, managed to get along, or I think he did. Anyway, I'd be interested to hear of his his uh, situation. You know how he enjoyed that. And I must say, it was good to hear a bit of crappy drumming background noise. Even at the AES, you still get the same problems as you do all the other shows. So uh, that was kind of fun. But is this a big deal? Because um, people have been going crazy about it. But it, I mean, the one thing that is worth mentioning is this is in fact. Uh, it's actually a, a 500 series rack, which is like for the API lunchbox kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's the same size as API. It's not actually a new modular format. It's a different format to what modulars are usually in. Is that right? David's shaking his yeah. head. Yeah, it is. People, people have been thinking that this is, oh, hey, this is the start of Moog doing a new modular. And from what I understand, it isn't. This is for um, post-production. This isn't necessarily for musos, right? And and as people are saying, couldn't you just in the chat room? I mean, couldn't you just feed? Um, couldn't you just feed audio through a slim fatty or a little fatty or one of those things? I mean, it's maybe it's a different set of circuitry. Yeah. It's not a cheap. It's not a, Voyager. Not a cheap thing. Which is what makes me think that this is ideally, uh, you know, for kind of production studios. It's a nice little gizmo that will sit on the top of your desk alongside your aura tones and other things it does look lovely you say to your punter check this out yeah exactly yeah i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't say no but yeah everybody's been going crazy all the all the big news sites which have been running with the story have had tons of comments i mean we've had like i don't know 15 or 16 comments on this as uh, as i know synthtopia's had a similar sort of thing so it's it's quite obviously quite a big big story um Gaz, does it uh, does it affect your world? Have you got anything in 500 series? I mean, because 500 series does is very much uh, more a US format, I believe. I mean, obviously we haven't got any US people here, so it's a bit hard to get the absolute on that. Yeah, um, it's it's beautifully made, though, isn't it? The presentation of it just looks really nice. They've obviously it does look really it, lovely. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I think that maybe just ties in with what Dave's saying. You know that it, it you know. As much as it is going to be a very useful device, it's, it's highly desirable, isn't it? You know, um, but but yeah, it's. I mean, what are, what's the normal sort of going prices for five hundred modules? Because I mean, its list on there is like eight hundred dollars, and that seems quite a lot just for a filter. I don't know, to be honest. Um, Ken uh, KRS eighty in the chat room, who I believe knows about these things, actually said uh, that it is in fact the uh, the fatty filter in a box. So you know, why not? Why not just get a fatty for that price? Well, I don't yeah. know if the slim fat is the same thing. Maybe it doesn't look as nice. I don't know. I mean, that's but but yeah. I mean, we we don't know why that's the case. But uh, it just suffice to say that it is. I don't know. It would be exciting if they did start producing more modules in the 500 format. But I mean, as far as I know, the 500 format doesn't contain any internal busing or anything like perhaps the Euro rack or anything. So it's not going to be much use for a basic modular system. Or am I wrong, Dave? Well, how how can you patch anything? There's no inputs on the front, is there? No, I suppose not. Game uh, over. Game over. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, because that, presumably that just goes to tails that you can patch on the 500 series. Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. I really do appreciate that they uh, are supporting uh, Sonic Talk. I mean, without our sponsors, we would be nowhere, or certainly less of anywhere. So what you're seeing now, if you're watching the video stream, is uh, the Pocket Track C24, which is probably, if not the smallest 24-bit 96 stereo recorder that you can get. A mere 57 grams. And also, uh, there's the... W24, which is of a similar format, has 24-bit 96K recording, superior battery life for extended recording, recording 38 hours of PCM, high-capacity storage with 2-gig built-in memory and micro SD cards, XY configured stereo microphone. It's also got a wireless remote, which means that you can stick it on top of a mic stand, maybe at a gig, and then run it uh, from, you know, 
from your remote control, which means you can pause between numbers. So what they'd like you to do is head off to a Yamaha store. Uh, if you go to yamahadownload.com or yamahasynth.com and check out the Pulse stores in the UK, which are kind of like Yamaha stores within stores at some of the major dealers, maybe go along and check out uh, the the pocket track take some memory along take it home have a good listen into your in your own environment see what it sounds like uh, same in the uh, in the US if you go to one of the major dealers and ask them to record some stuff for you and just see what you think about it because these things are really small they're the, they're very pocket sized they're the size of the, the kind of old school dictaphones so they really are incredibly portable so um, if you're looking for something that is incredibly portable discreet and gives you very high quality stereo recording as well as a number of other features including practice aids tuner and metronome both come with Cubase AI5 music production software. Please do check out the Yamaha C24 or W24 Pocket Tracks. Thank you very much. So, let's get back to uh, the matters in hand. Uh, moving out of filter, what was next? Ah, yes, The Sound of Fear by John Carpenter. Now, I think I was going to play the interview part, but I think I'll just play this instead because this is so much more. This is, of course... John Carpenter did the music for Assault on Precinct 13 as many as well as many other movies and uh, listening to this today just really brought it all back he's a, the master of here we go very hooky I won't play it all. I just really love that. Um, but there's a really interesting video uh, of John Carpenter just talking about the composition and the sort of sound of fear, it's called, uh, by John Carpenter. It's filmed by a guy called Sa- Simon Reynolds. Uh, he talks about his groundbreaking soundtracks on the music that inspired them because not many people know that he's actually, I think he's actually had gigs where he's been hired as the soundtrack creator only rather than the director as well. I forget which one it was. I think it might have been... Uh, no, I forget. Maybe I'm talking out of line there, but it was just, I just thought it was a really great um, piece of work. And uh, I know there's lots of legends talking uh, about why he got into it, you know, whether he just was too cheap to hire anybody else, and so he thought he'd do it himself. But he's got a very long history uh, of music. His parents were musical. And um, interestingly enough, the Assault on Precinct 13 soundtrack. They had like kind of two days in the studio and he just went in and made it. And it was just, it's just a fascinating story. I know, Dave, are you familiar with Mr. Carpenter's works? I'm really sad I didn't get a chance to watch this because, yeah, I, the one I loved was um, Escape from New York. Snake Pliskin. Uh, but I do know that he did an awful lot of stuff on the 3C Moogs and he had an art, uh, Actually, it was a Selena and some Oberheim stuff as well. So there's some trivia in terms of instruments. But yeah, no, I'm really disappointed. And I will I will go and see this. I mean, I've done patches like using names of his films and stuff like that, because it is really evocative of a certain era, isn't it? It's got that kind of, it's just got that really nice vibe. Yeah, I mean, I remember Menacing seeing vibe. exactly escape from you. The, the use of synthesizers, uh, uh, just a sort of very basic. And and what I really liked about a lot of them is when you li- you know, because obviously I was a kid when I saw some of these films, and now listening back as a sort of you know with the music professional kind of ears on, you think, God blimey, some of that stuff was a bit ropey, wasn't it? I mean, just in terms of playing and <laughs> and kind of timing and stuff, you think, oh, I don't think I'd have let that go yeah. these days. But it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, I quite like that element to it because it does give it that kind of. It, it certainly an escape from New York and things like that. It tried to be very metronomic, but actually it was reasonably loose. Yeah. But at the time, it seemed like really quite sterile, didn't it? And sort of clinical, but yeah, I like it. Like uh, like I say, I like that kind of menace. Yeah, no, fantastic. Gaz, has uh, John Carpenter sort of featured much in your uh, in your life? Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, the theme tune from Assault on Third, uh, Precinct 13, I first encountered it actually as a Music 500 demo on my Acorn system, I've, I've mentioned in the past. Mod uh, file. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I was really excited to sort of went to actually hear the tune because I'd only ever known it from this kind of like FM demo. But 
Um, they actually got it pretty spot on, actually. But um, yeah, I love John Carpenter. I, I mean, I think, isn't it really interesting to have that director composer sort of um you know that uh to be to be doing both it, it well that, it, it does really it does feels... shorten it shortens that terrible gap between you know the having to explain the director having to explain what he means and what he's got in his head rather than yeah. saying no he's just doing it himself and going yeah that'll do i mean because the one thing that, that, that did come up in the interview I, I mean i can play a little bit of it perhaps but, um, later on but was that he? You know, he didn't really know what he was going to do. In a lot of cases, he just went in and improvised with whatever was lying around. You know, and that's just amazing. Which just shows that he's obviously got a very good instinct for an awful lot of things, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the thing—that's a real classic, isn't it? You know, and uh, fantastic atmosphere in that. And uh, so you know, so he, you know, so he's able to sort of conjure up the atmosphere in his music. And yeah, I think it's amazing. I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Sort of, uh, and the crudeness i love the i love the kind of dryness to it as well in a way it's kind of just yeah yeah you know, really, you know the synthiness is so dry oh i love it great <laughs> particularly when everybody else at that era was kind of swamping everything in reverb and yeah when you think about the sort of tangerine dream stuff it was all very kind of ethereal whereas this is kind of yeah i like that actually i hadn't yeah. considered that before he did get on to be quite interesting <laughs> Directed, did he? Oh, yeah. God, I should have bloody oh. taken a No, no, he did. I mean, he got, he got, is... he got onto his that kind of stuff. I mean, he got onto uh, those sort of sounds. Escape from New York was a bit more kind of cinematic. And he said in the film that, uh, in, in the short movie, that he'd actually, uh, he had a bit more time and budget this time because he'd made a bit more money on them. So he had three days to do the Escape from New York soundtrack in the same studio he did Assault on Precinct 13. You know. Because a lot of his stuff, I mean, the Escape from New York, sorry, it's just like this riff repeating itself over and over again. And if I remember correctly, so was Halloween, wasn't it? It would have to be, really. It's just this single riff. Must have been really interesting from a kind of film director's point of view. I wonder whether he was actually directing a particular scene thinking, I know exactly what I'm going to put to this musically. <laughs> yeah, there was. I didn't get a chance to watch the it in its entirety myself because I've had to... Uh, a bit of a broken morning, but uh, I was. Uh, it's well worth watching. It's in two parts, and uh, it's got a lot of stuff going on there. So, oh dear, I'm, my switching's gone to gone to pieces. I mean, all my buttons are getting stuck. Oh, you stopped getting stuck. Right there, we go. Sorry about that, folks. Um, that's a b- terrible piece of uh, a piece of stuff, guys. I seem to have lost your video. Is that um, is oh. that is that problematic for you? You've got a spinny dial oh. in front of your face. Okay, I'll just uh, see if I can bring it back. I can see myself. Oh, interesting. It's just not coming through to me. I Wouldn't it also I... be great if you were doing the music and directing the film to be able to communicate with actors by saying, think more Mellotron. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. Great idea. More ladder filter in your yeah. acting. <laughs> um, I've, been, I've, I've been corrected. The thing was uh, Morricone, apparently. Ah, so, right. Yeah. Oops, we I should bet. have spotted that. <laughs> I should have spotted that. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, yeah, I'm not getting but, any video from you. But um, anyway, um, the other thing that came up about this was obviously he was inspired quite a lot by Forbidden Planet, uh, uh, which was one of the first electronic music scores for sci-fi, certainly. Uh, credit is electronic tonalities, partly avoid, to avoid having to pay any of the film industry music <laughs> guild fees. And it was composed by <laughs> Lewis and Bebe Barron, apparently. This was uh, brought in by Mac Doctor, who very kindly um, spent a bit of time helping me research the top this week's topics because I was a bit short of time. So thank you very much. Um, this is, let me see, I, I, I should say also... Sonic Talk theme tunes. We we have a brief brief interlude because we've had an absolute stonking amount. I I don't know if you can see here on the feed there, but I just want to say we've had I think forty four entries to the uh, to the Sonic Talk uh, theme competition, and they are all absolutely brilliant. I don't think there's anything that I would consider to be substandard in there at all. So it's it's. Be, I just want to say thank you very much. We're compiling the votes now. Um, we are going to uh, put them all together and uh, from a very sophisticated spreadsheet points rating system uh, uh, akin to the uh, Eurovision style voting uh, 
Uh, we're just waiting for votes uh, come in for from the various judges. We have got uh, a few people who are, uh, are currently working on a lot of projects, so they haven't had a chance to listen because it does. Let me see how long does it take? Fifteen minutes and twenty-seven seconds it would take to listen straight straight through to all of them, uh, and that's not a clue. That's not that's assuming you're you're not actually going to you know make any notes and then go back and what have you. <coughs> anyway, I just wanted to let you know that, and uh, so. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten you by any stretch. So I'm looking forward to um, to finding out the the, the the final scores of those. And thanks to everybody for your continued uh, uh, help with the show and those those themes. They're absolutely brilliant. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so this is now we're going to get on to a topic that's close to my heart because uh, I've only just come back from... This is the last live gig I've seen and I really, really enjoyed it. Now I'm just trying to remember if I pressed the right button. Yes, there it is. We'll let it get to the chorus. Anyway, I'm going to stop there because uh, that that was the Mr. John Fox, or the fantastic Mr. Fox, as I'm going to entitle any article that I write. Uh, we fortunately got a bit of a gear rundown with him playing in uh, London last night, so I'm really looking forward to it because I went to see him last week at Bristol Thecla, and I really, 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 really enjoyed it. It was... Uh, it was a very menacing and powerful thing. And the one thing that was quite interesting about it is the instrumentation, because that was Underpass, which was like that started his career off in the sort of pop vein. And there's a new album out called uh, Interplay, which has actually got some real classic record um, songs on there. And they're done very much in the same vein with a lot of the older technology. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the time it's kind of some sort of fat, antique modular or or, or uh, mono synthesizer is front and center in the and into the sound and i just i really enjoyed at that and um it was a very powerful thing to see live and i just wondered um because i know gaz you did see it live with me and i know we had some reservations in terms of you know there was things with the vocal sound that was perhaps a bit samey but it i've been listening to that album all week and i can't get it out of my head what do you think yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? I mean, uh, they had um, he was flanked by two women um, who were multitasking, playing a variety of instruments: violins, bass, synthesizers, guitars, yeah, synth- yeah, and synthesizers. Um, so there was a great visual to it as well, um, and um, and the chap playing the Simmons drums. Um, so, uh, and it, yeah, I mean, and as you mentioned, you know, it, it was like a real live. At, electro sort of band wasn't it it was kind of um i mean i think they were using probably some backing tracks i guess um but it did carry quite a live feel didn't it um which 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 was really cool but the sounds were very good weren't they they were really he was playing a simmons tra- a simmons kit and i don't know which one it was i thought i suspected dave spears you might know which simmons kit it was because i i noticed between <laughs> songs he was having to um swap uh, he was having to sort of reach over and sort of twiddle the knobs and set the kit up. So it was obviously one without memory. So I'm guessing what would that make it? A, a, a five or a four? No, I think it's an eight. I think it's an eight, an SDS eight. Oh, I've got the five. Bloody brilliant. It might be. If, I know that Benj has got an SDS five up in the studio, but uh, that's more the rack as opposed to... Uh, I seem to remember that the drum heads themselves. So, God, this is like drummers train spotting isn't it um <laughs> the heads the heads of the sds8 heads ah okay it was, I, and that was the one thing that was i I'm, I'm, cuz he he ca- it came in i can't remember which song he started with but they used the simmons more i think in the live show than they do on the record and when he first hits those sort of massive toms and the sort of, I mean, I was just beaming all over my face. I just couldn't stop smiling because I'd never heard, I've never actually heard those things amplified 
in a kind of live environment, and they are just absolutely oh, massive. I mean, I, I don't think I want one of those kits. I've got to get one now because <laughs> I think what I should have is a Simmons SDS5 doorbell that just kind of <laughs> plays. I'll get I'll get like a drum monitor and put it under the stairs, and when someone rings, it just goes something like that, and that that means I can go. I just I want to. Ha- I just oh, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Really I mega. I used to gig all the time with my SDS5, and it was always that kind of because when you were doing the kind of local gig, small PA, or you know, kind of average PA uh, gigs, you'd always have that kind of tedium where the guys would have to mic up the snare and the bass drum, and you know, if you were using a real kit. Whereas actually, if you done a couple of gigs and just set one of the, the SDS5 had four memories. Uh, one was a preset, but you could go, you could take the modules out and tweak it um, <clears throat> manually. But uh, if you had one of them set up for, you know, like in gig mode, it would take very, very little tweakings. And you just blow every other band off the stage in terms of drum sound. I'd always uh, keep a real snare, but in terms of the kick drum, you could just, I mean, seriously, blow holes in walls. It was absolutely amazing. And it's really sad because we would have done a plug in on it, but. Chris absolutely hates them. <laughs> <laughs> he spent a year on the road with Yes, with Bill Bruford. And oh, yeah, SDX. that's that ridiculously sort of over. Yeah, yeah, I remember. It and was what, all, yeah. the, 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 the kind of transition was, so you had the SDS-3, the SDS-4, the SDS-5 was the kind of first mainstream electronic kit. That was the real pure analogue thing. And then it went to the, the SDS-8 was a slightly cut-down <laughs> version. And then you had the SDS-7, which was a kind of hybrid digital analog thing. I'd quite like one of those for posterity, really, because they're very, very rare. The SDS they don't have analog filters. Yeah. Did it still do but all that five, doof, doof stuff, or was it all sample-based? It was not as mega, mega meaty, as it were. But right. the SDX, you know, whilst was amazing with all the zones and velocities in terms of sampling, it just did not, like Chris said, it had two dynamics road drill and off that's what the sdx <laughs> had whereas the sds5 you could set it up i had rubber pads fitted to mine because they originally came with the riot shield things and it would give you more dynamics well that's actually interesting Ga- i remember gaz you were saying gaz when um when he was playing that uh that the people who play play those simmons the, the plastic heads get really bad are you know bad wrist problems because there's mm. there's just no give in mm. the head so you've got to be very careful and ben was playing yeah, it standing yeah. up so he was kind of playing it Sort of with you know his wrists probably in the worst possible position for for in terms of health and safety, but it certainly <laughs> it certainly sounded awesome. It was known as Simmons wrist, wasn't it, or Simmons elbow? Simmons yacht. It was riot shield. That's Simmons what it yacht. Was. <laughs> was it? It was actually it was actually riot shield. Yeah, 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 and then, and then underneath, you know, you had these little piezo pickups. I mean, it was all really basic stuff, but it kind of looked like the future because it was hexagonal and plastic yeah. and oh. just kind of. Amazing, but John Fox, god damn! I think he's... John, I, I think John Fox is gonna is gonna ha- be having a fairly major renaissance actually because he was so imposing and he was doing that whole kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, well, he looks like that. He doesn't have to suck his cheeks in. He's got a, you know he's got a a picturesque face. You know, he looks fantastic, and he didn't talk to at all. He didn't smile. There was none of this communication business. But the and the the the, the brutality and the and the just directness of the sound. Sometimes it was just like a drum kit, a drum kit, and a really horrible, gnarly bass sound. And it sort of didn't matter. It was just so. I've just found it really powerful. I'm really quite encouraged that a uh, brave, even because you know he, he's not a great singer. I mean, he was using a lot of effects on his voice, and that's that's another matter. But it, it still came across really purely, and the song. And, and I just thought, wow, that's really kind of impressive, impressive behaviour. Did you spot anything else on stage, Gaz? Apart from the Simmons SDX, uh, the Simmons SDS five, we think it was. Um, I think I saw an ARP Omni. Yeah, well, yeah. the two girls were just using real basic little. Like one was using a Micron, Elise's Micron, yeah. and another one was using the the little original Korg, my, uh, the Micro Korg. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, 
But I don't know if they were middied up, but they, I mean, they sounded great, when, whatever they were Yeah, I wasn't sure. I'm hoping that because we're going to do this uh, rig tour, we'll find out a little bit more about how they put the show together. And I don't think there was a lot of stuff coming back off sequence. There was some, obviously, there were certain things that were. Uh, eBay City uh, Trollers, a great handle there in the chat room, says Tara Bush's Tory. Yes, indeed, she was supporting that night and was... Also good. She had a bit of technical difficulty. Once she got going, it was all great. Apparently, Gaz, because uh, the, the Moog input wasn't working, apparently it was a dodgy lead. Simple as that. Dodgy lead. Oh, dodgy lead. No excuse for yeah. that sort of thing these <laughs> days, is there? But anyway, that's the way. But anyway, yes, Tara was playing, played last night, and I think that that's the last night of her uh, of her tour, tour with John Fox, and she's uh, heading off to the States, I believe. But... Um, any other thoughts of that particular gig? I mean, he was using quite a lot of vocal processing. We were wondering what that was, and hopefully we're going to find out as well. Did he use some... Um, because I know John uses... Oh, sorry, I keep pressing oh, the wrong button. Up. You keep hitting that button, don't you? I know John uses the little art sequences. He's got a couple of them. Oh, uh, do you think was, maybe... Did he have those live? I didn't see, to be honest. I didn't see whether he had the art sequences. I, I would imagine not. I did see... There were a couple of boxes going on, and he was definitely playing stuff. So I don't know whether there were some samples or whether it was triggering. You know, I really don't know. And that's the thing I'm kind of looking forward to finding out, really, because it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, journey through his rig, hopefully. Are you go- uh, you've managed to sort something out. Well, Andy was up there last night uh, filming with... Uh, uh, he did something at the sound check and he got a bit of rig. I mean, time was very tight. A little bit of an interview and a little bit of uh, uh, rig tour. So I'm hoping we're going to get that back. And I want to combine that with also some. I want to interview John because I just think it'd be very interesting. In the sort of in the same style as I managed to do with uh, the Jordan Rudess thing. So we can do it via Skype using this same switching thing. And it, it just can spin stuff in. And it, it just. Uh, I'm hoping to. I haven't heard anything back from the email I sent him, but I'm hoping to uh, be able to do something. Fingers cool. crossed. Because he's very, very close to you. So, And I've been trying to get him on the podcast for ages and ages and ages. I've sort of occasionally popped up there before actually coming down to see you. He is the most fascinating individual as well. You could spend hours and hours in his company because he's just got this brilliant outlook on things. I mean, he's not a youngster. He's been around for God knows how long. But the way it's just the way he looks at stuff and the way he uh, talks about things. It's very calm and very relaxing, and also uh, just just brilliant. Actually, really brilliant. My lights just come on. I've got to turn it off. It's, look, it's doing that all by itself. Wow, that's spooky. That is. Oh, that is spooky. Right. Was it supposed I'll to be off? off. Or sp- right. I know you're lit by a screen. I turned it off. Ah, because I didn't want to. Give the impression I was. What do you, what do you think about my lighting, by the way? I've got this new lighting system. I've got a little pinpoint LED coming here with a bit of gel on it, and a little one behind me to give me some edge. It's all properly lit. Andy bought them at IKEA for a tenner each. I think it improves matters enormously. Yeah, you're a bit pixelated for me, but it uh, does look good. Gaz looks good at the minute. I can't see Gaz at all. <laughs> I'm just getting the spinning icon once again. Me neither. <laughs> anyway, let's. Uh, why don't I? Why don't we now take a, a, another chat to? Uh, d- Time to take a word from our sponsor. Um, that's Mac Pro Video. Uh, we've got all sorts of uh, audio and, well, just tons and tons and tons. Oh, I've made a mistake now. There we go. Ableton Live, audio plugins, Cubase, GarageBand, Isotope, uh, Logic Pro, Mainstage, Melodyne, MIDI, Native Instruments, Pro Tools, uh, Reason, Keymap, Sibelius, Soundbooth. I mean, there's just tons and tons of tutorials. I don't. I forget Spectra, Sonics, Superior Drummer, Soundtrack. There's just tons and tons of it. And we want you to save 20%. Oh, yes, indeed we do. We want you to save 20%. If you go over there and you see something that you want to download and check out their tutorials, because they are of all uh, very high quality as well. I mean, there's not, it's not this sort of nonsense that you get from, you know, just boffins uploading to youtube it's proper stuff so save 20 percent. head over to sonicstate.com forward slash mpv and you see i finally got a proper uh, lower third to say <laughs> where to go if you're watching you're lucky enough to be watching the video stream uh, which i i heartily recommend you do because it's sonicstate.com forward slash live 4 p.m if this is your first time come back next wednesday and uh, you, hopefully you'll see another one that's the idea anyway so once again we want to thank you um Sonic Mac Pro Video for sponsoring the show. And also, uh, save your 20%. Head over to sonicstate.com forward slash MPV and it'll bounce you over to the place you need to be to get that discount. Right. Um, let me see. What's next on the on the list? Um, John Fox. Oh, yes, I forgot to say, actually, um, if you have to be in London uh, this week, 
uh, Thursday the 27th. Oh, it is actually Tara's playing Thursday. I, I, take, I take it all back. Tara is playing on the 27th of October. So on Thursday, she'll be playing with, uh, at, at XOYO in London. I'm not sure how you say that because I'm not um, up with it. Is it XOYO or ZOYO or something? So she's playing there. And also John Fox. And oh, actually, he's playing in Yorkshire as well. Friday the 28th of October at the Holmfirth Picture Dome, West Yorkshire. So there are two more gigs after tonight if you want to get a chance to see John Fox if you're in uh, the London or West Yorkshire area. Right. Uh, it's well, and, and I've got to say, it's well worth it, particularly with this band lineup. Bench, obviously, the analog synth guru who's got the big studio in London and stuff, is just Mr. Old School. Don't forget, they did that big thing at the Roundhouse where they actually carted the mod, the Moog modular up there and uh, did that whole thing just using analog synths. And what's really interesting, I've, I think Benj has been a kind of real linchpin in kind of John's favourite instruments, CR78, Arp Odyssey, and, and to be able to kind of take that stuff out on the road. It's well brave and well worth supporting. So, yeah, definitely I'd go and see it. Yeah, no. Well, if you do get a chance, Dave, I don't know if you have seen it, go up on Thursday. It's really, really good. I'd really like to, but unfortunately, I'm away. Ah. Okay, well, never mind. Right, um, our final topic, which I've just realised I haven't done any show notes for, because <laughs> I, I was a bit uh, waylaid this morning. My daughter wasn't feeling very well, and we had multiple childcare, and I was fer- and my car's in for the MOT, so it's like, oh, yeah. You don't want to know. Half term, it's always a bit of a nightmare. So anyway, um, this is the news that uh, popular music is dominated by synthesizers and sex, says a new study. Uh, according to industry analysts, hit songs deconstructed. Seventy-nine percent of top pop hits of ten top of, te- of top ten pop hits. You want to say that too fast? Use a synthesizer as the song's primary instrument. Eighty-eight percent of top ten songs use electric-based instrumentation. And hooking up is the most popular topic so far in two thousand and eleven, with thirty-eight percent of hit songs. Followed by inspirational songs, which have an account for twenty five percent of the top ten, uh, partying, clubbing, and elevations. Is that a good trend? Do you think anything's changed? I mean, it's quite interesting because um, we we got into a whole lot of guitar focused stuff for a long time, didn't we? I mean, there was a whole period of synths coming back into fashion, and, and 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 why? Why would they be? I thought it was I thought it was cooler to have a guitar. I thought that was the whole point. Now, or am I wrong? Gaz, put me right. I'm. I've been seeing like young bands coming up now that feature synths a lot. Um, there's uh, I, and and you know, uh, but with guitar, you know, but like kind of loud, noisy sort of bands with synths. Um, and I think that's maybe a difference. Um, uh, although I'm not sure that a lot of this chart stuff is that. But there is um, just thinking about like bands like Neon Indian and uh, well, um, Animal Collective. Uh, a whole host of them, um, you know, and uh, I, th- I, th- I think it's quite interesting because a lot of these bands who are coming up are, for them, guitars and stuff has dominated their, you know, since they were born. Like if they were born in the 90s, you know, sort of like kind of uh, grunge and Britpop and stuff, um, uh, you know, I think they, they, they sort of see sort of synths as being quite, you know, quite exciting used in sort of rock band sort of situations really um uh and and yeah and i've seen i've seen numerous bands doing it and it's kind of uh um there's a real kind of uh i think there's been a bit of a resurgence in like kind of super sore type stuff as well well it's everywhere i mean you listen to some of the r&b and the rap stuff it's that's a cross between 80s and 90s trance and uh, and Timberland, isn't it? It's a really bizarre yeah. combination. And the fashions are the same as well. You've got this kind of like a preppy, preppy stroke grunge look, which is a really weird uh, combination as well. So it's just everything's becoming all mashed up, I guess, perhaps. But the super sort, I mean, it's a very striking sound. So that whole sort of sound is very, you know, it, it's very easy to put straight in your face and, and blast it out. So I, I suppose that's true. Oh, Dave, do you, what do you think the reasons are? You got any got any th- social theories? No. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. I don't know. It does seem to go in cycles, though, doesn't it? It's kind of weird. I do. Um, 
go to the various sort of musical things up at my daughter's school and whatnot, and it's always it's always slightly. I, have, oh, I should probably not say it, but I will. Um, like most things in my life, uh, it's always slightly cringy when a bloke goes on stage with a synthesizer. Whereas actually, I'm always more impressed when a guy. I think it's down to the choice of sounds because. So the last gig that I saw up there, or the last kind of music recital I saw up there, there was a guy who walked on with his acoustic guitar and just sang like an angel and played brilliantly. And that was like, wow, he's really cool. That whole thing's really cool. Very musical, very impressive. And then this sort of band came on with a Juno D and it was all kind of weirdy trance sounds to a sort of strange trancey beat. And it was all a bit kind of like uh, corny, which is funny because a few years ago, anytime any band picked up a guitar, I'm talking about, you know, like 16, 17 year olds that I'd seen play every time a band of that ilk picked up a guitar, that would strike me as being corny. Whereas some most of the time when they were using synths and stuff, I was kind of like, oh, this is quite interesting. This is an interesting way. So it does. It just goes in cycles, mm. if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, it does. It does make sense. I mean, obviously, as we get older and older, um, we recognise those cycles. I mean, when you're a teenager, you don't re- you're don't you not really aware of those cycles because you haven't experienced any of them while you're aware of music, probably. Whereas, you know, it, it's funny, it's that preset mentality that kind of freaked me a little bit the last time I went, you know, it was like, oh, I pushed whatever the preset is and I haven't edited it. But it gives me that sound or it gives, you know, from the kid's perspective, it's like, oh, it gives me that sound that I recognise from a record. And with that, I can do this style of music, whereas I kind of like that blank canvas thing. In fact, it's funny, it made me think of that whole flood thing and no presets. and Yeah, but I think the thing is, is, is it a lot of the time it's down to, I mean, because you can take a preset that's made for, you know, I mean, I don't know, let's say, for instance, it's an oboe sound, you know, and just go, well, that sounds a bit, you know, but where you use it is where it's appropriate, you know, say, for instance, in a Leggy Gaga beat where they've got that, you know, that is, and that's really striking. So, I mean, you could take these sounds, it's just where you put them. It doesn't, the preset part of it doesn't bother me so much unless the whole thing feels preset, the whole piece of music feels preset, and though, therefore the presets within it just have no special feature or mention or don't really kind of stick out. Whereas if you take it and just turn it up and just go, look, listen to this, and you're just going, blimey, that was, yeah. that was yeah. a shock or a surprise, then, then it has much more weight. It doesn't necessarily matter that it's not been, you know, slaved over as a preset. Which is kind of why I quite like, you know, seeing these kind of young sixth form bands and stuff like that, because you you sort of hope that you're going to be seeing some serious attitude. Mm. A no ability. (laughs) Yeah, because that's the energy. (laughs) Attitude with no ability. Sort of, it's quite refreshing though sometimes though, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. I really do. Mm. Gaz, what's the sort of happening in the recording side of things? Are, Are you kind of working with bands who have more uh, synthesizer aspects or is that not really where most of the bulk of your work lies? Um, well, I'm on a pop session tomorrow, so that'll be doing, uh, I'll probably be getting the synths out. Um, I Well, I'm working with another band at the moment that's very acoustic based. Um, and I've been sort of showing the, the songwriter just... Um, uh, just how we could use sort of synths in a very subtle way in the background, very very quiet, and just sort of adding dimension. And he's and he's quite excited about that. So, um, y- you know, I, I I think like in in maybe his case, he's kind of got like one of these sort of prejudices against synthesizers, you know. And um, and I always think it's really interesting if you can make sort of an inherently inorganic thing work in an organic sort of um, situation. Um, I'm just trying to think about trends with, uh, what I have discovered though, is um, that no one I've worked with ever likes Omnisphere, <laughs> uh, when I've tried to sort of bring it into sessions and stuff. Really? Um, why is that? Why. Is it because it's just too, it's sort of like the, it's sort of mus- I mean, it's, mu- it's muscular, isn't it? Is that perhaps what it is? It's yeah. Just- uh, yeah, possibly. And it's just, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> just a uh, massive. Yeah, it's just huge, and so it's just really difficult to sort of kind of... And then when you pull those sounds back, I don't know, it's... Um, I mean, I use it loads, so I can't really criticise it, but um, 
uh, I always think, oh, people are going to be really impressed with this, and they're generally not. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that because I mean, it works incredibly well in something that's being constructed electronically, rather than perhaps um, trying. I, to, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm generalizing there because I haven't installed it yet. I, on, on a session last week, I was doing, and I used Animoog and um, with uh, somebody who's not particularly familiar with synthesizers, um, but uh, I just got them. It just chose the notes that it was displaying, so it was uh, only displaying about three notes, um, and then and those three notes repeated across a few different octaves, and got them to sort of uh, to move the you can like move amongst the sort of different timbres on the screen, and and just getting them to play a very very simple thing, and just move and and just getting into the um, moving that. Sort so of, the changing of the timber against the against time. Yeah, 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 and and they and they absolutely loved it. And I thought, oh, they, this is great, you know, because they were doing it sensitively to the music. And and actually, well, it, it was a girl, and she was she's a brilliant musician. And I just thought that, and she's not at all a sort of synthesizer person at all. But by making it really accessible, and she was really getting into the sort of the nuances of the sort of to, the timbre changes um, in. You know, um, and I thought that was quite interesting. You know, sort mm. of. Uh, well, maybe that's the other thing. I mean, because now I, I guess also synthesizers in the past to people who've never touched one, when you, it's it's a bit like you know, for for me, I still find it when I'm confronted with like an EMS AKS or something like that. I just have no, you know, it's like oh, I don't know what to do. You know, it's it it's it's intimidating to me. So anybody else, you know, who even lesser synthesizers, if you can kind of take away some of that in- in- intimidation factor so that they can just play the thing, which is, I guess, what the, something like the iPad interface can help with. <laughs> Funnily enough, actually, I was saying this about Omnisphere and with this particular girl I was just talking about, uh, I just remembered it's quite funny because she just loved the default sort of saw wave, the default sound of Omnisphere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a... <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and, I, and that's all that got used in the end was just that default. And I was going, are you, you know, are you sure? Don't you want, you know? And, but we tried experimenting with the sound, but she kept coming back. That was what she wanted. So <laughs> interesting. That's interesting. funny. Norman Cook used to do the same with the S nine hundred, wouldn't it? Just start it out with that. Oh, that, and the tones. That, that, that sine wave. His bass. Yeah. Oh, I loved that sound. <laughs> in fact, it had it had three wave. It didn't just have sine, did it? it? Had sine, saw, and square. Is that right? Am I am I remembering well, correctly? I haven't got onto that <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was, was a, there were other waves. He said, "Oh, I use it for the baseline of dub be good to me and all sorts of things." That's that's kind of what I use, <laughs> just to reinforce a sample that I borrowed from somewhere. You know, yeah, brilliant. Okay. That's fantastic, isn't it? Right. Well, um, I think we're probably heading towards the uh, the useful end of this particular show. I want to say thank you very much to everybody. I want to also say thank you very much to the Sonic Talk podcast entries. Here they all are again. And remember, of course, uh, we are going to attempt to get a winner sorted out by next week. I mean, we're doing our very best. I want to make sure that as many people vote as possible so that everybody gets a good crack of the whip because I don't want, you know, if there's only three or four of us, I'd rather kind of get as many as we can so that everybody feels uh, that it's been a fair process. And I want to make sure that everybody, you know, has a listen to it because it's rocking good stuff. So, um, We'll be announcing that next week. I also want to say thank you very much to our live listeners. Um, we've had a lot of people in the chat room today. It's obviously a, maybe it's because they thought we were going to announce the winner. And, and if that's the case, I am terribly sorry. But um, people working on projects and what have you, just it just meant that you know we can't can't uh, get all of the votes in straight away. But it's going to be worth the wait, honestly. And don't forget, Dave Spears said that uh, the winner is going to be able to get a a, a free. What do you say, Dave? It was a free instrument. Yeah, but they can have yeah. One of one of you know, an instrument of their choice from, from the GeForce from the GeForce roster. That is very very kind mm-hmm. of you, Dave. Thank you very much. And it also means that uh, because Dave's entry had to be disqualified. <laughs> oh shit! I thought I was going to win it. <laughs> uh, which unfortunately, uh, well, I just felt it was only fair. In fact, get, I'm going to play. It. In fact, I'll play these now because no, this would be a good way. To, no, all right, I won't play it. Well, Gaz, you sent me no, something not as well. Come on, okay. I just sent a silly one. I thought that was great, actually. Gaz, you want to hear Gaz's? Can I play that too? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's so have you haven't put the names up, have you? I have put the names up, yeah. Oh, have you? Oh, cool. Okay, I'll yeah. have to go I'm and I'm just going to play it, so let's have a look. Sonic Talk on Sonic State. New 
Another another great piece of work there. <laughs> I, I, I bet that took you. You know, I mean, it sounds really complicated. And I bet it took you. How long did it take you? I, did, I just did about an hour this morning. <laughs> wow, that's awesome! I wish I was able to do something like that. I'm, I'm not going to enter one. I, well, I did the last one. No, I didn't do the last one. Actually, somebody else did the last one. So, so I, I won't do this one either. But anyway, um, so I want to say thank you very much. Obviously, uh, been a great show. Everybody's been uh, most marvelous. I'm going to. Um, what I mean, I think I'd like to play out with a bit of um, some brilliant bit of um, the fantastic Mr. Fox because I've got a, a really good. Uh, there's a bit of Evergreen, which is one of the tunes off the new album. And if you get a chance, do go and check out uh, it live. And I thoroughly recommend uh, checking out Interplay for a, just as an exercise in minimalist synth pop. I don't think you can get much more minimalist than than what he's done here, and also quite catchy. So um, we'll say thank you very much to uh, Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software. Oh God, wrong button again. We'll say thank you very much to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you very much, Thank Dave, you. for joining us. And to Gaz Williams from songsurgeon.co.uk. Thank you very much for joining us. Even though we don't seem to have got your video going again, I'm not sure why that yeah. is. Maybe your bandwidth just um, can't cope with it. Yeah. I, I'm you, having real problems with my internet. I'm going to get on the phone to him now. I'm very angry. Uh, well, it's all right. At least you could join us at least in voice that's the main thing but uh, anyway thank, <laughs> thank you very you. much it's been a great show and don't forget next week uh, sonictalk.com forward slash live 4pm UK time if you've never heard this fact before join us and also thank you very much to our show sponsors that's Yamaha uh, check out the uh, pod, the pocket track recorders and also Mac Pro Video save 20% sonictalk.com forward slash MPV and I'm going to find let me see if I can find this under, not underpass so it's that no it's this one and I'll take it to the end and we'll play out with the next track, which is just such a lovely track. This one's called Evergreen by John Fox, and he played this live last week. And this, again, sounds a lot to me like it could possibly be a Moog module just taking care of the bass end duties because it's just, oh, it's lovely. It reminds me a little bit of an English folk tune, Electrified. But that's a good thing, right? So anyway, that's Sonic Talk number... 240. Thank you very much.